Hello everyone, welcome to Knox Bedtime Stories. I'm your friend Joey, here with another episode to help you relax, feel safe, and fall asleep. It's about 10pm here, I hope you all had a great week and accomplished all your goals. If not, it's okay, and everything's going to be okay. We're going to get calm, relaxed, put the day behind us, and enjoy a funny news story and story I'll be reading to you. If this is your first time here, welcome to the Knox family. I hope I'm able to bring you some calm, comfort, and a good night's sleep. From here on out, nothing exists except you, me, this beautiful fireplace, and the bed, couch, or floor you're laying on. I have a funny good news story called The Crate Escape, Uh, about a man who tries to mail himself from Australia to Wales and ends up in Los Angeles, California. He actually ends up turning his adventure into a book called The Crate Escape. Then, I have a special story called Glinda of Oz. This is, in my opinion, a better adventure than the first Wizard of Oz book, and we'll read the first two chapters tonight. There's lots of magic and adventure in this one. We'll meet some new characters, as well as our favorites, Dorothy, the Tin Woodman, the Scarecrow, Cowardly Lion, the Wizard, and lots more. If you enjoy the show and find it helpful in getting a good night's sleep, please consider becoming a patron of the podcast. You can do so for as little as a dollar a month, This helps ensure that the bills are paid and the podcast will be here for you and everyone else every Monday for a long time to come. You can join Patreon by going to KnoxBedtimeStories.com and clicking the Patreon link or Patreon.com forward slash KnoxBedtimeStories. Alright, let's get to tonight's good news story titled The Crate Escape. Homesickness is a malady with only one known cure, going home. But sometimes the circumstances are against you. When that happens, people can resort to some pretty bizarre schemes to get themselves back where they long to be. At age 19, an unhappy Brian Robson was working in Melbourne, Australia, but sorely pining for his native Wales. He was so eager to get home, in fact, he had himself loaded into a crate so his friends could use airmail to get him home to Cardiff. Back in 1964, Robson had signed on for an assisted immigration program. His expenses were paid by the Australian government, and in return, he was committed to a two-year gig with Victorian Railways. Robson regretted the deal almost immediately, but if he didn't live up to the contract, he'd be obligated to pay back close to 800 euro in travel fees spent getting him there. Not having that kind of money, Robson and two of his work buddies, Paul and John, hatched a top secret plan of simply mailing him home. Paul typed up the appropriate freight paperwork and the trio secured a 3x3x2 wooden crate 
and made sure it had air holes in it so Robson could breathe. He curled up inside the box with only a bottle of water, an empty bottle for obvious reasons, a pillow, hammer, flashlight, and a small bag and thought he was settling in for a 36-hour journey to the UK. But the trio didn't consider what would happen if the crate were put on the wrong flight. After nailing the lid closed, his sidekicks marked the box fragile and this side up. But as many of our best laid plans, the box would soon take a major detour. Robson found himself being handled with anything but care. The three-day trip turned into a marathon five-day odyssey. 24 excruciating hours of which he spent upside down. As the grueling ordeal wore on, Robson considered calling it quits, but in the end decided to soldier on. I played with the idea for a few seconds and convinced myself, look, you've done all this. You cannot embarrass yourself now. You're going ahead with it and that's it, Robson told the host of CBC's As It Happens. When the mostly numb Robson finally landed, he thought he was in London but actually had been routed to Los Angeles, where he shined a beam of his flashlight through the hole, alerting a worker. Although severely dehydrated and pretty banged up, when he was released from the confines of his crate, Robson was delighted to have survived the journey. Airport workers wondered what to do in the bizarre situation and called in many US officials. But after hearing Robson's tale of homesick blues, the teen was quickly sent home, only this time as a first-class passenger courtesy of Pan American Airline. The Americans, the FBI, the CIA, and everything else, they were brilliant. I mean, I fell in love with America because I've never been treated so well. Everybody there really looked after me, and they just thought, oh, it's this silly kid getting himself into trouble. Once home, Robson's epic story did receive its share of press, but he refused to reveal the names of his accomplices because he didn't want them to get into trouble. Now, however, with the debut of a book chronicling his adventures, cleverly called The Crate Escape, now on Kindle and hitting shelves soon, Robson believes that statute of limitations has likely expired on anything criminal, and he'd love to get back together with his old mates to swap tales. The trouble is, he can't remember his buddy's last names, or where they come from in Ireland. He had written his Irish mates who were the same age as Robson, but never heard back. Hopeful for a reunion, he told the BBC, if I met them again, I'd just like to say that I'm sorry I got them into this, and that I missed them when I came back, and I'd like to buy them a drink. While shipping yourself home in a crate is certainly not a recommended mode of travel, the same year that Robson was laboring in the land down under, an Australian who was stranded in London pulled off the stunt in reverse. Following an unsuccessful Olympic tryout, Reg Spears had his wallet stolen, so enlisted the help of a friend to mail him home. 
in a slightly larger box than Robson's, with interior straps to keep him secure. He suffered only one brutal layover in Mumbai, before arriving in Perth 36 hours later. Okay, now let's get into bed. Say to yourself, my bedroom is a place of peace and relaxation. When I enter this room and crawl into bed at night, today's thoughts naturally begin to soften. My burden lightens and sleep is coming. Let's get to tonight's story, Glinda of Oz, set to sleep-inducing music and this beautiful fireplace. If you're not already laying down, please do so in whatever way is comfortable. And let's begin. The Call to Duty Glinda, the good sorceress of Oz, sat in the grand court of her palace, surrounded by her maids of honor, a hundred of the most beautiful girls of the fairyland of Oz. The palace court was built of rare marbles exquisitely polished. Fountains tinkled musically here and there. The vast colonnade open to the south allowed the maidens as they raised their heads from their embroideries to gaze upon a vista of rose-hued fields and groves of trees bearing fruits or laden with sweet-scented flowers. At times, one of the girls would start a song, the others joining in the chorus, or one would rise and dance gracefully, swaying to the music of a harp, played by her companion. And then Glinda smiled, glad to see her maids mixing play with work. Presently, among the fields an object was seen moving, threading the broad path that led to the castle gate. Some of the girls looked upon the object enviously. The sorceress merely gave it a glance and nodded her stately head as if pleased. For it meant the coming of her friend and mistress, the only one in all the land that Glinda bowed to. Then, up the path trotted a wooden animal attached to a red wagon, and as the quaint steed halted at the gate, there descended from the wagon two young girls, Ozma, ruler of Oz, and her companion, Princess Dorothy. Both were dressed in simple white muslin gowns, and as they ran up the marble steps of the palace, they laughed and chatted as gaily as if they were the most important persons in the world's loveliest fairyland. The maids of honor had risen and stood with bowed heads to greet the royal Ozma, while Glinda came forward with outstretched arms to greet her guests. We've just come on a visit, you know, said Ozma. Both Dorothy and I were wondering how we should pass the day, when we happened to think we'd not been to your quadling country for weeks, so we took the sawhorse and rode straight here. And we came so fast, added Dorothy, that our hair is blown all fuzzy, for the sawhorse makes a wind of his own. Usually, it's a day's journey from the Emerald City, but I don't suppose we were two hours on the way. You're most welcome, said Glinda the Sorceress, and led them through the court to her magnificent reception hall. Ozma took the arm of her hostess, but Dorothy lagged behind 
kissing some of the maids she knew best, talking with others, and making them all feel that she was their friend. When at last, she joined Glinda and Ozma in the reception hall. She found them talking earnestly about the condition of the people, and how to make them more happy and contented. Although, they were already the happiest and most contented folks in all the world. This interested Ozma, of course, but it didn't interest Dorothy very much. So the little girl ran over to a big table on which was lying open Glinda's great book of records. This book is one of the greatest treasures in Oz, and the sorceress prizes it more highly than any of her magical possessions. That is the reason it is firmly attached to the big marble table by means of golden chains, and whenever Glinda leaves home she locks the great book together with five jeweled padlocks and carrying the key safely hidden in her bosom. I do not suppose there is any magical thing in any fairyland to compare with the record book, on the pages of which are constantly being printed a record of every event that happens in any part of the world at exactly the moment it happens. And the records are always truthful, although sometimes they do not give many details as one would wish. But then, lots of things happen, and so the records have to be brief, or even Glinda's great book could not hold them all. Glinda looked at the records several times each day, and Dorothy, whenever she visited the sorceress, loved to look in the book and see what was happening everywhere. Not much was recorded about the Land of Oz, which is usually peaceful and uneventful. But today, Dorothy found something which interested her. Indeed, the printed letters were appearing on the page even while she looked. This is funny, she exclaimed. Did you know, Ozma, that there were people in your land of Oz called skeezers? Yes, replied Ozma, coming to her side. I know that on Professor Wogglebug's map of the land of Oz, there is a place marked Skeezer, but what the Skeezers are like, I do not know. No one I know has ever seen them or heard of them. The Skeezer country is way at the upper edge of the Gillikin country, with the sandy, impassable desert on one side and the mountains of Oogaboo on another side. That is a part of the land of Oz, of which I know very little. I guess no one else knows much about it either, unless it's the skeezers themselves, remarked Dorothy. But the book says the skeezers of Oz have declared war on the flatheads of Oz, and there is likely to be fighting and much trouble as the result. Is that all the book says? asked Ozma. Every word, said Dorothy. And Ozma and Glinda both looked at the record and seemed surprised and perplexed. Tell me, Glinda, said Ozma, who are the flatheads? I cannot, your majesty, confessed the sorceress. Until now, I never have heard of them, nor have I ever heard the skeezers mentioned. In the faraway corners of Oz are hidden many curious tribes of people, and those who never leave their own countries and never are visited by those from our favored part of Oz. 
naturally are unknown to me. However, if you desire, I can learn through my arts of sorcery something of the skeezers and the flatheads. I wish you would, answered Ozma seriously. You see, Glinda, if these are Oz people, they are my subjects, and I cannot allow any wars or troubles in the land I rule, if I can possibly help it. Very well, your majesty, said the sorceress. I will try to get some information to guide you. Please excuse me for a time while I retire to my room of magic and sorcery. May I go with you? asked Dorothy eagerly. No, princess, was the reply. It would spoil the charm to have anyone present. So Glinda locked herself in her own room of magic, and Dorothy and Ozma waited patiently for her to come out again. In about an hour, Glinda appeared, looking grave and thoughtful. Your Majesty, she said to Ozma, the skeezers live on a magic isle in a great lake. For that reason, because the skeezers deal in magic, I can learn little about them. While I didn't know there was a lake in that part of Oz, exclaimed Ozma, the map shows a river running through the skeezer country, but no lake. That is because the person who made the map never had visited that part of the country, explained the sorceress. The lake surely is there, and in the lake is an island, a magic isle, and on that island live the people called the skeezers. What are they like? inquired the ruler of Oz. My magic cannot tell me that, confessed Glinda, for the magic of the skeezers prevents anyone outside of their domain knowing anything about them. The flatheads must know if they're going to fight the skeezers, suggested Dorothy. Perhaps so, Glinda replied, but I can get little information concerning the flatheads either. They are people who inhabit a mountain just south of the Lake of the Skeezers. The mountain has steep sides and a broad hollow top, like a basin, and in this basin the flatheads have their dwellings. They also are magic workers and usually keep to themselves and allow no one from outside to visit them. I have learned that the Flatheads number about 100 people, men, women, and children, while the Skeezers, just 101. What did they quarrel about? Why do they wish to fight one another? was Ozma's next question. I cannot tell your majesty that, said Glinda. But see here, cried Dorothy. It's against the law for anyone but Glinda and the wizard to work magic in the land of Oz. So, if these two strange people are magic makers, they are breaking the law and ought to be punished. Ozma smiled upon her little friend. Those who do not know me or my laws, she said, cannot be expected to obey my laws. If we know nothing of the skeezers or the flatheads, it is likely that they know nothing of us. But they ought to know Ozma, and we ought to know. Who's going to tell them, and how are we going to make them behave? That, returned Ozma, is what I am now considering. What would you advise, Glinda? The sorceress took a little time to consider this question before she made reply. Then she said, 
Had you not learned of the existence of the Flatheads and the Skeezers, through my book of records, you would never have worried about them or their quarrels. So, if you pay no attention to these peoples, you may never hear of them again. But that wouldn't be right, declared Ozma. I am ruler of all the land of Oz, which includes the Gillikin country, the Quadling country, the Winky country, and the Munchkin country, as well as the Emerald City. And being the princess of this fairyland, it is my duty to make all my people, wherever they may be, happy and content, and to settle their disputes and keep them from quarreling. So while the skeezers and flatheads may not know me, or that I am their lawful ruler, I now know that they inhabit my kingdom and are my subjects. So I would not be doing my duty if I kept away from them and allowed them to fight. That's a fact, Ozma commented Dorothy. You've got to go up to the Gillikin country and make these people behave themselves and make up their quarrels. But how are you going to do it? That is what is puzzling me also, your majesty, said the sorceress. It may be dangerous for you to go into those strange countries where the people are possibly fierce and warlike. I am not afraid, said Ozma with a smile. Tisn't a question of being afraid, argued Dorothy. Of course we know you're a fairy and can't be killed or hurt. And we know you've a lot of magic of your own to help you. But Ozma, dear, in spite of all of this, you've been in trouble before on account of wicked enemies, and it isn't right for the ruler of Oz to put herself in danger. Perhaps I shall be in no danger at all, returned Ozma with a little laugh. You mustn't imagine danger, Dorothy, for one should only imagine nice things. And we do not know the skeezers and flatheads are wicked people, or my enemies. Perhaps they would be good and listen to reason. Dorothy is right, your majesty, asserted the sorceress. It is true we know nothing of these faraway subjects, except that they intend to fight one another, and have a certain amount of magic power at their command. Such folks do not like to submit to interference and they are more likely to resent your coming among them than to receive you kindly and graciously, as is your due. If you had an army to take with you, added Dorothy, it wouldn't be so bad, but there isn't such a thing as an army in all Oz. I have one soldier, said Ozma. Yes, the soldier with the green whiskers, but he's dreadful afraid of his gun and never loads it. I'm sure he'd run rather than fight. And one soldier, even if he were brave, couldn't do much against 201 flatheads and skeezers. What then, my friends, would you suggest? inquired Ozma. I advise you to send the Wizard of Oz to them and let him inform them. I advise you to send the Wizard of Oz to them and let him inform them that it is against the laws of Oz to fight, and that you command them to settle their differences and become friends, proposed Glinda. Let the wizard tell them they will be punished if they refuse to obey the commands of the princess of all the land of Oz. 
Ozma shook her head to indicate that the advice was not to her satisfaction. If they refuse, what then, she asked. I should be obliged to carry out my threat and punish them, and that would be an unpleasant and difficult thing to do. I'm sure it would be better for me to go peacefully, without an army and armed only with my authority as ruler, and plead with them to obey me. Then, if they prove obstinate, I could resort to other means to win their obedience. It's a ticklish thing, anyhow, you look at it, sighed Dorothy. I'm sorry now that I noticed the record in the great book. But can't you realize, my dear, that I must do my duty, now? But can't you realize, my dear, that I must do my duty now, that I am aware of this trouble? Asked Ozma. I am fully determined to go at once to the magic isle of the Skeezers, and to the enchanted mountain of the Flatheads, and prevent war and strife between their inhabitants. The only question to decide is whether it is better for me to go alone, or to assemble a party of my friends and loyal supporters to accompany me. If you go, I want to go too, declared Dorothy. Whatever happens, it's going to be fun, cause all excitement is fun, and I wouldn't miss it for the world. Neither Ozma nor Glinda paid any attention to this statement for they were gravely considering the serious aspect of this proposed adventure. There are plenty of friends who would like to go with you, said the sorceress, but none of them would afford your majesty any protection in case you were in danger. You are yourself the most powerful fairy in Oz, although both I and the wizard have more varied arts of magic at our command. However, you have one art that no other in all the world can equal. The art of winning hearts, making people love to bow to your gracious presence. For that reason, I believe you can accomplish more good alone than with a large number of subjects in your train. I believe that also, agreed the princess. I shall be quite able to take care of myself, you know but might not be able to protect others so well. I do not look for opposition, however. I shall speak to these people in kindly words and settle their dispute, whatever it may be, in just a manner. Aren't you going to take me, pleaded Dorothy? You'll need some companion, Ozma. The princess smiled upon her little friend. I see no reason why you should not accompany me, was her reply. Two girls are not very warlike, and they will not suspect us of being any errand but a kindly and peaceful one. But in order to prevent war and strife between these angry peoples, we must go to them at once. Let us return immediately to the Emerald City and prepare to start on our journey early tomorrow morning. Glinda was not quite satisfied with this plan, but could not think of any better way to meet the problem. She knew that Ozma, with all her gentleness and sweet disposition, was accustomed to abide by any decision she had made and could not easily be turned from her purpose. Moreover, she could see no great danger to the fairy ruler of Oz in the undertaking, 
even though the unknown people she was to visit proved obstinate. But Dorothy was not a fairy. She was a little girl who had come from Kansas to live in the land of Oz. Dorothy might encounter dangers that to Ozma would be as nothing but to an earth child would be very serious. The very fact that Dorothy lived in Oz and had been made a princess by her friend Ozma prevented her from being killed or suffering any great bodily pain as long as she lived in that fairyland. She could not grow big either and would always remain the same little girl who had come to Oz unless in some way she left that fairyland or was spirited away from it. But Dorothy was immortal nevertheless and might possibly be destroyed or hidden where none of her friends could ever find her. She could, for instance, be cut into pieces, and the pieces, while still alive and free from pain, could be widely scattered, or she might be buried deep underground, or destroyed in other ways by evil magicians, were she not properly protected. These facts Glinda was considering while she paced with stately tread her marble hall. Finally, the good sorceress paused and drew a ring from her finger, handing it to Dorothy. Wear this ring constantly until your return, she said to the girl. If serious danger threatens you, turn the ring around on your finger once to the right and another to the left. That will ring the alarm bell on my palace and I will at once come to your rescue. But do not use the ring unless you are actually in danger of destruction. While you remain with Princess Ozma, I believe she will be able to protect you from all lesser ills. Thank you, Glinda, responded Dorothy gratefully, as she placed the ring on her finger. I'm going to wear my magic belt, which I took from the Gnome King, too. So, I guess I'll be safe from anything the Skeezers and Flatheads try to do to me. Ozma had many arrangements to make before she could leave her throne and her palace in the Emerald City, even for a trip of a few days. So she bade goodbye to Glinda and with Dorothy climbed into the red wagon. A word to the wooden sawhorse started that astonishing creature on the return journey. And so swiftly did he run that Dorothy was unable to talk or do anything but hold tight to her seat all the way back to the Emerald City. Chapter 2 Ozma and Dorothy Residing in Ozma's palace at this time was a live scarecrow, a most remarkable and intelligent creature who had once ruled the land of Oz for a brief period and was much loved and respected by all the people. Once a munchkin farmer had stuffed an old suit of clothes with straw and put stuffed boots on the feet and used a pair of stuffed cotton gloves for hands. The head of the scarecrow was a stuffed sack fastened to the body with eyes, nose, mouth, and ears painted on the sack. When a hat had been put on the head, the thing was a good imitation of a man. The farmer placed the scarecrow on a pole in his cornfield, and it came to life in a curious manner. Dorothy, who was passing by the field, 
was hailed by the live scarecrow and lifted him off his pole. He then went with her to the Emerald City, where the Wizard of Oz gave him some excellent brains, and the Scarecrow soon became an important personage. Ozma considered the Scarecrow one of her best friends and most loyal subjects, so the morning after her visit to Glinda, she asked him to take her place as ruler of the Land of Oz while she was absent on a journey and the Scarecrow at once consented without asking any questions. Ozma had warned Dorothy to keep their journey a secret and say nothing to anyone about the skeezers and flatheads until their return and Dorothy promised to obey. She longed to tell her girlfriends, Tiny Trot and Betsy Bobbin, of the adventure they were undertaking but refrained from saying a word on the subject, although both these girls lived with her in Ozma's palace. Indeed, only Glinda the Sorceress knew they were going, until after they had gone, and even the Sorceress didn't know what their errand might be. Princess Ozma took the sawhorse and the red wagon, although she was not sure there was a wagon road all the way to the Lake of the Skeezers. The Land of Oz is a pretty big place, surrounded on all sides by a deadly desert, which is impossible to cross, and the Skeezer country, according to the map, was in the farthest northwestern part of Oz, bordering on the North Desert. As the Emerald City was exactly in the center of Oz, it was no small journey from there to the Skeezers. Around the Emerald City, the country is thickly settled in every direction, but the farther away you get from the city, the fewer people there are, until those parts that border on the desert have small populations. Also, those faraway sections are little known to the Oz people, except in the south, where Glinda lives and where Dorothy has often wandered on trips of exploration. The least known of all is the Gillikin country, which harbors many strange bands of people among its mountains and valleys and forests and streams and Ozma was now bound for the most distant part of the Gillikin country. I am really sorry, said Ozma to Dorothy, as they rode away in the red wagon, not to know more about the wonderful land I rule. It is my duty to be acquainted with every tribe of people and every strange and hidden country in all Oz, but I am kept so busy at my palace making laws and planning for the comforts of those who live near the Emerald City, that I do not often find time to make long journeys. Well, replied Dorothy, we'll probably find out a lot on this trip, and we'll learn all about the skeezers and flatheads anyhow. Time doesn't make much difference in the land of Oz, because we don't grow up or get old or become sick and die, as they do other places. So, if we explore one place at a time, we'll by and by know all about every nook and corner in Oz. Dorothy wore around her waist the Gnome King's magic belt, which protected her from harm, 
and the magic ring which Glinda had given her was on her finger. Ozma had merely slipped a small silver wand into the bosom of her gown. For fairies do not use chemicals and herbs and the tools of wizards and sorcerers to perform their magic. The silver wand was Ozma's one weapon of offense and defense. By its use, she could accomplish many things. They had left the Emerald City just at sunrise, and the sawhorse traveled very swiftly over the roads, towards the north. But in a few hours, the wooden animal had to slacken his pace, because the farmhouses had become few and far between, and often there were no paths at all in the direction they wished to follow. At such times, they crossed the fields avoiding groups of trees and fording the streams and rivulets whenever they came to them. But finally, they reached a broad hillside closely covered with scrubby brush, through which the wagon could not pass. It will be difficult even for you and me to get through without tearing our dresses, said Ozma. So we must leave the sawhorse and the wagon here until our return. That's all right, Dorothy replied. I'm tired of riding anyhow. Do you suppose, Ozma, we're anywhere near the skeezer country? I cannot tell, Dorothy dear, but I know we've been going in the right direction, so we are sure to find it in time. The scrubby brush was almost like a grove of small trees. Bert reached as high as the heads of the two girls, neither of whom was very tall. They were obliged to thread their way in and out, until Dorothy was afraid they would get lost. And finally, they were halted by a curious thing that barred their further progress. It was a huge web, as if woven by gigantic spiders and the delicate lacy film was fastened stoutly to the branches of the bushes and continued to the right and left in the form of a half circle. The threads of this web were of a brilliant purple color and woven into numerous artistic patterns, but it reached from the ground to the branches above the heads of the girls and formed a sort of fence that hedged them in. It doesn't look very strong, though, said Dorothy. I wonder if we couldn't break through. She tried, but found the web stronger than it seemed. All her efforts could not break a single thread. We must go back, I think, and try to get around this peculiar web, Ozma decided. So they turned to the right, and following the web, they found that it seemed to spread in a regular circle. On and on they went, until finally Ozma said, they had returned to the exact spot from which they had started. Here is a handkerchief you dropped when we were here before, she said to Dorothy. In that case, they must have built the web behind us, after we walked into the trap, exclaimed the little girl. True, agreed Ozma, an enemy has tried to imprison us. And they did it too, said Dorothy. I wonder who it was. It's a spider web, I'm quite sure, returned Ozma. But it must be the work of enormous spiders. 
quite right, cried a voice behind them. Turning quickly around, they beheld a huge purple spider, sitting not two yards away and regarding them with its small bright eyes. Then there crawled from the bushes a dozen more great purple spiders, which saluted the first one and said, The web is finished, O king, and the strangers are our prisoners. Dorothy did not like the looks of these spiders at all. They had big heads, sharp claws, small eyes, and fuzzy hair all over their purple bodies. They look wicked, she whispered to Ozma. What shall we do? Ozma gazed upon the spiders with a serious face. What is your object in making us prisoners, she inquired. We need someone to keep house for us, answered the Spider King. There is sweeping and dusting to be done, and polishing and washing of dishes, and that is work my people dislike to do. So we decided that if any strangers came our way, we would capture them and make them our servants. I am Princess Ozma, ruler of all Oz, said the girl with dignity. Well, I am king of all spiders, was the reply, and that makes me your master. Come with me to my palace, and I will instruct you in your work. I won't, said Dorothy indignantly. We won't have anything to do with you. We'll see about that, returned the spider in a severe tone, and the next instant he made a dive straight at Dorothy, opening the claws in his legs as if to grab and pinch her with the sharp points. But the girl was wearing her magic belt and was not harmed. The Spider King could not even touch her. He turned swiftly and made a dash at Ozma, but she held her wand over his head and the monster recoiled as if it had been struck. You'd better let us go, Dorothy advised him, for you see, you can't hurt us. So I see, returned the Spider King angrily. Your magic is greater than mine, but I'll not help you to escape. If you can break the magic web my people have woven, you may go. If not, you must stay here and starve. With that, the Spider King uttered a peculiar whistle and all the spiders disappeared. There is more magic in my fairyland than I dreamed of, remarked the beautiful Ozma. With a sigh of regret, it seems that my laws have not been obeyed, for even these monstrous spiders defy me by means of magic. Never mind that now, said Dorothy. Let's see what we can do to get out of this trap. They now examined the web with great care and were amazed at its strength. Although finer than the finest silken hairs, it resisted all their efforts to work through even though both girls threw all their weight against it. We must find some instrument which will cut the threads of the web, said Ozma finally. Let us look about for such a tool. So they wandered among the bushes, and finally came to a shallow pool of water, formed by a small bubbling spring. Dorothy stooped to get a drink and discovered in the water a green crab about as big as her hand. The crab had two big sharp claws, and as soon as Dorothy saw them, she had an idea that those claws could save them. 
Come out of the water, she called to the crab. I want to talk to you. Rather lazily, the crab rose to the surface and caught hold of a bit of rock. With his head above the water, he said in a cross voice, What do you want? We want you to cut the web of the purple spiders with your claws, so we can get through it, answered Dorothy. You can do that, can't you? I suppose so, replied the crab. But if I do, what will you give me? What do you wish, Ozma inquired. I wish to be white instead of green, said the crab. Green crabs are very common, and white ones are rare. Besides, the purple spiders, which infest this hillside, are afraid of white crabs. Could you make me white if I should agree to cut the web for you? Yes, said Ozma. I can do that easily. And so, you may know I am speaking the truth. I will change your color now. She waved her silver wand over the pool, and the crab instantly became snow white, all except his eyes, which remained black. The creature saw his reflection in the water, and was so delighted that he at once climbed out of the pool and began moving slowly toward the web by backing away from the pool. He moved so very slowly that Dorothy cried out impatiently, Dear me, this will never do. Catching the crab in her hands, she ran with him to the web. She had to hold him up even then, so he could reach with his claws, strand after strand of the filmy purple web, which he was able to sever with one nip. When enough of the web had been cut to allow them to pass, Dorothy ran back to the pool and placed the white crab in the water, after which she rejoined Ozma. They were just in time to escape through the web, for several of the purple spiders now appeared. Having discovered that their web had been cut, and had the girls not rushed through the opening, the spiders would have quickly repaired the cuts and again imprisoned them. Ozma and Dorothy ran as fast as they could, and although the angry spiders threw a number of strands of web after them, hoping to lasso them or entangle them in the coils, they managed to escape and clamber to the top of the hill. Thank you all for listening. If you enjoy the podcast, please subscribe and leave a 5-star rating on Apple Podcasts. If you found the show helpful and want to make sure it's around for others to enjoy, please go to KnoxBedtimeStories.com and click the Patreon button. There are various rewards and it ensures that the show will be here every Monday for a long time to come. I wish you all a good night's sleep and a happy peaceful life. May the best of your todays be the worst of your tomorrows. Good night.